Hi, this is Kathy Garber, and I'm the next guest on On Screen and Beyond with Brian. On Screen and Beyond, an inside look into the entertainment world featuring interviews with people from the movie, TV, and music industry, news on upcoming TV and DVD releases, and the rumor mill. And now... Here's the host of On Screen and Beyond, Brian Zemrak. Welcome to episode 120 of On Screen and Beyond, the weekly show that keeps you in the know of remakes, sequels, new movies, and DVD releases, as well as interviews with someone from the movie, TV, and music industry. I'm your host, Brian Zemrak, and this week our guest is Kathy Garber. Now, of course, Kathy was sissy on the classic 60s TV show, family affair and kathy's going to reminisce about the show with us and she's going to let us uh, know about what her current projects are so stick around for that it's coming up in a few minutes and be sure to check out all of our past episodes at www.onscreenandbeyond.com and you can hear interviews with such stars as taylor lautner of twilight movies and bob barker of the price is right tommy james of tommy james and the shondells and uh, Larry Minetti of Magnum P.I. and all sorts of other, many, many more there. Uh, like I say, this is episode 120, so there's 120 of them there. And a lot of great people, uh, just music people and, and, and movies and TV. And they, they bring back all, back all kinds of memories. And some of them from new shows and things like that. Directors and writers and all sorts of stuff. Check it out, onscreenandbeyond.com. All you got to do is go to our homepage Click on the uh, On Screen Beyond reruns page, and then you can go and select a season, and you can see what was in each one. And uh, let's see, I've been working hard to connect with many more interesting guests, and some of the people have been suggestions from our emails uh, that people have sent to us, and others are just people I've been uh, pursuing for a while here. So uh, we've got them coming your way in the next couple of weeks, so keep listening. Each week you're going to catch somebody anyways. So uh, check out uh, the show each week and uh, see who comes your way. And right now, it's time to check out Remakes with Remake Madness right here on On Screen and Beyond. Please hang up and try again. Remake Madness, well, Mad Max, we've talked about that one before. Uh, they're looking at remaking the Mad Max series. And it seems that they're, they're calling this one, they're trying to tell us it's not a remake. They're saying it's an update, a modernization of the Mad Max hero. And, uh, you know... To me, anyway, you slice it, it's a remake. Uh, you know, they can call it whatever they want. Uh, in fact, they're calling this one Mad Max Fury Road. So we'll see what happens with that. We'll keep you updated. And it looks like Lee Majors, the TV show The Fall Guy, is headed for the big screen. It's looking for a 2013 release. And, of course, Lee Majors was a guest on On Screen and Beyond. You can check that out in our past reruns. So go ahead and check that out. I doubt very much that Lee is going to be the lead in the Fall Guy new movie, but, uh, you know, who knows? Maybe they'll have him as a cameo or something like that. And also, rumors are out that Amanda Seyfried will play Cinderella in a live-action remake of the classic Disney cartoon. And it's listed currently as in development. So we'll keep you updated on that as it comes along. Coming up next on On Screen to Be On, upcoming movies right here. Well, as far as upcoming movies, September 17th, M. Night Shyamalan is uh, going to bring us The Night Chronicles Devil. 
And it's about a group of people trapped in an elevator, and they suddenly realize that the devil is among them. But who and which one? And November 12th, a thriller called Skyline arrives. Uh, it's about a late-night party and a group of friends who wake up to an eerie light shining through the window, and anyone who goes outside vanishes. And Topher Grace, Anna, France, uh, Anna Fr- Ferris, rather, and Teresa Palmer are starring in Kids in America. It's about a college grad who pursues his dream girl at a wild Labor Day weekend party. It arrives in theaters on December 3rd. That's it for upcoming movies. Next on On Screen and Beyond, Sequel City. Sequel City, well, Hatchet 2 will star Daniel Harris and Tony Todd. Tony Todd, of course, of Candyman fame. The film is listed as an action, comedy, thriller, horror. Got it covered there. And it's looking for an October release in the United States. And if you're in London, looks like you guys are going to get an August premiere on that movie. And let's see, in our remake segment, I mentioned that Mad Max Fury Road was in the works. It's, uh, you know, something they're working on. But they have already announced a sequel is in the works. That's right. Mad Max Furiosa. Don't ask me where they came up with that one. but <laughs> uh, Of course, the names may change. Who knows? You don't know what's going to happen there. But anyways, that one has already been announced. They're working on that. They're going to film back-to-back. And Hostel 3 is being made, but word has it that it will go direct-to-video on that one, so uh, no theatrical release on that is planned. That's it for Sequel City. Coming up next on On Screen and Beyond, we're going to take a look at TV on DVD. <laughs> This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. TV on DVD, well, the final season of the Mary Tyler Moore Show will arrive on DVD on October 5th in a three-disc set, and it will include the final curtain call, which has only been aired once in March 19th of 1977. So that's something to check out. And on, uh, let's see, season five of How I Met Your Mother will be in stores on September 21st with plenty of extras, and the complete series of the Larry Sanders Show in a 17-DVD set will be in stores on November 2nd, so get ready for that one. That's about it for TV on DVD. Coming up next on On Screen and Beyond, we're going to take a look at movies coming your way on DVD, right here on On Screen and Beyond. Movies on DVD. Well, we got a couple of new ones here. On July 27th, you can look for Huxley on Huxley on DVD. It's a a documentary that takes a look at the life of Aldous Huxley, famed author. And Farewell arrives on DVD on July 23rd. It tells the true story of a KGB colonel who gave top-secret documents to a French businessman. 
And be sure to check out Jack Says. It's a film noir type thriller. And Split Ends, a romantic comedy on DVD. And that's about it for Movies coming your way on DVD. Coming up next on On Screen to Be On, Kathy Garver comes our way. Kathy's a great guest. She's going to talk about Family Affair, her time as Sissy on that show, about all the other things, the voiceover work she's done. She's done all sorts of stuff. It's next, right here on On Screen and Beyond. Today's guest on On Screen and Beyond is an actress, an author, a cook, and so much more. In the 60s, she played the teenager Sissy on the classic TV Family Affair, and it's Kathy Garver. Kathy, welcome to On Screen and Beyond. Well, thank you very much, Brian, or Brain, as I email you. It's (laughs) nice to be here. (laughs) Kathy, uh, naturally, everybody remembers you, of course, from from Family Affair and being Sissy and everything, but um, what many people probably don't know because uh, people who do voiceovers uh, are sort of you know in the background and uh, but you've done a lot of voiceover work haven't you well that's it you never see our faces which is a oh that's <laughs> those are the battling dogs ah, okay. <laughs> uh, where i am on the west coast out here i'll go inside and stop pruning my flowers as I'm talking to you. See, I'm a multitasker. Uh-huh. <laughs> but um, a voiceover is, is a wonderful thing to do. As a matter of fact, I was bringing my website up to date, www.kathygarver.com, and I was including a web thing that I just did for the uh, Internet Voice Coach. And I, I teach voiceover in Northern California at oh. VoiceWin Studios in San Francisco, but this is kind of a cool thing to do it on the internet. So technology is just abounding. Oh yeah. yeah. But I yes, I have done a lot of voiceover roles. My one of my most famous ones is as Firestar and Angelica Jones for Spider Man and his amazing friends. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I've done other ones like um Pepper in uh, Chuck Norris, Karate Commandos, and uh, Dixie in Dixie's Diner, and I do a lot of audiobooks. I do uh, about an audiobook a month, and I also direct. I have to tell you a story about Amy Tan. You know Amy? She wrote The Joy Luck Club. Oh, okay, and, yeah. Yeah, she's a prolific author and uh, also a producer and a singer. Well, I was directing her in Saving Fish from Drowning, her book that she was tape recording, and we were recording as an audio book for Brilliance Audio, and um, there is an award called the Audio Award that is kind of like the Oscar for the spoken word. So I called her up and I said, Amy, isn't it great that uh, we won the Audi? And she says, yeah, but when they first called, I thought I had won a car. <laughs> I said, well, close, but this is an A-U-D-I-E, not an A-U-D-I, and there's no recalls <laughs> on our words. Now, I, I noticed also that uh, with the voiceover work you did, you've done, that um, 
at least on the internet. And of course, sometimes things aren't exactly true. But uh, I see here that you've uh, your voice can be heard on like Apollo 13, Ransom, Backdraft, uh, back, Backdraft, and Jingle All the Way. Is that true? Yes, because what I also do is audio digital replacement. I also teach it. And that's really a wonderful, fun thing to do. So many people don't know what that is. And it occurs in post-production, whether you were doing a film or TV or animation. And if you are filming something, you know, you, you film the, the master and you're with the principals and you uh, have a lot of extras in the background. So let's say it's a restaurant scene. You have your two main characters there, um, maybe uh, Tom Cruise and, oh, how's this for a pair, and Angelina Jolie, and there's talking. Um, but there are all these other people that have to be in the restaurant. Mm-hmm. Now, when you hire an extra, they're paid not very much, $100 a day, and they can't say anything. So they just pantomime. But that would sound kind of and look weird if you looked at the, the film after it was done and here's Angelina and Tom just sitting there and nobody's talking in the background. Right. <laughs> so what they do is loop it and they uh, call it ADR, automatic or audio digital replacement. Hmm. They hire a group of people called a loop group. There's different ones, Loop Du Jour or the Mad Loopers. There's all kinds of different groups. <laughs> I was in a group called Loop Du Jour. And they bring in maybe like six, eight people, depending, and they Busby Berkeley it. Hmm. Like if they were going to put it in a baseball scene, eight people could be 150. Yeah. Or in the restaurant, eight people could be 50 people. And because they record it and then they overlay it. So, um, as you said, I did all these movies. We actually won the award for sound for Apollo 13. Yeah. And Ron Howard, who was our director, directed the loop group, but we just heard the voice, really the voice over for when we were in the studio. And he says, oh, a little, you know, a little louder, a little softer, oh, more excitement or whatever. That's interesting. That's it's a little behind-the-scenes thing that goes on with films and everything. That's right, yeah. Huh. So uh, that must take some a good sound editor to make it sound like it's, it's natural, though, right? Yes, you know, and that's why I teach it, and uh, because it, it really takes a skill. It takes improvisation. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have to be making up for something. Uh, I, a lot of the, the time, I, I tell my students, oh, it's like, you know, like a Jeopardy thing. Things you would say at a baseball game. Things you would say at a family dinner, mm-hmm. etc. So um, the people there have to be able to make up dialogue. And the thing is, they get paid big bucks, though, because they get paid, like for the Screen Actors Guild, they would get paid as a principal performer for the day, as well as all the wonderful uh, fringe benefits and residuals a Screen Actors Guild principal performer would get, uh-huh. you know, such as when it played on TV and when it went foreign, when it went to DVDs or Blu-ray or whatever. Mm-hmm. So um, they get paid because it is a skill. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. 
So now, do you enjoy the freedom that you have doing voiceovers? Now, I've had a lot of different uh, voiceover people on the show, and they uh, uh, they all seem to enjoy, you know, going in. They, what they say is going in your PJs. <laughs> well, that's right. I wear my jammies a lot. And the thing is, uh, voiceover and technology has progressed so much. When I was first doing voiceover uh, 20 years ago, we actually had to go on the interview into just a, a, a limited amount of uh, studios. And then we would go back and we would record, and we would record on, well, I don't go so far back as eight tracks, but <laughs> we would record on reel to reel tape, mm-hmm. and then it progressed to cassette, and then it went to CD, and now. The reason that we can do this in the PJ, and I can sit in front of my computer with a little mic that just plugs right into a USB port, and I can record anything I want easily in my jammies and press a button and send it through cyberspace on an MP3 or WAV file. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, it's amazing how how, how much easier it is now. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, and um, now... Of course, everybody wants to, to hear you talk about uh, Family Affair, but let's take a, a, a quick look at how you began in acting. Um, when you were a little girl, did you want to be an actress? Well, I started out as a singer and a dancer oh. <laughs> when I was three. I uh, was living in Los Angeles, and my mother took me to the Meglin Studios on Western Boulevard, close to Hollywood Boulevard, and... She took me there because guess who got their start at the Meglin Studios? Who? One of the most famous child stars of all time. Uh, uh, <laughs> Shirley Temple. Sh- Shirley Temple. There you go. Very <laughs> okay. good. You get a prize, Brian. Maybe I'll send you one of my books. <laughs> um, Shirley Temple got her start there, and Ethel Meglin trained all these uh, little kids, and there I was singing and dancing at three years old. Uh, putting on um, reviews at the Shrine Auditorium, which is this great big auditorium where they did Aida with elephants trouncing along the boards, and here's this little tiny girl <laughs> singing and dancing and doing the waltz clog. <laughs> so that's how I, I started, um, uh, but I actually started professionally when I was about seven with the Ten Commandments. It was, was a very uh, auspicious beginning and yeah. very spiritual beginning to my career. Now, how was it working for Cecil B. DeMille and Charlton Heston and, uh, you know, the whole the whole aspect of an uh, epic movie like that? Well, it was terrific for a, a little girl like me uh, going on to the Paramount lot, and they had really built this great, big uh, desert and mountains and and uh, with the Red Sea. I mean, it was awesome in the, in the very basic uh, connotation of that word. And I was originally hired as an extra to, wa- to ride in this wagon during the Exodus scene. And I remember, essentially, you know, as a child, you remember the sense things, the cold sponges being applied to my skin for dark body makeup and the roughness of the of the costumes that were like hop sacking. Mm-hmm. And so I was to ride in this wagon 
and I climbed up in the wagon. I was thrilled because I got to hold a little lamb. Uh, and then I heard this voice call out, don't let that little girl's face get in the camera. I said, oh, what did I do? Right, yeah. <laughs> I, I was just, oh. And so the assistant director, the AD, came up, and he kind of hid me behind a blanket, and uh, we did the scene, and I heard this cut, great big voice, and I looked up, I thought it was God, this voice coming, <laughs> and then this crane descended uh, that had a seat in it, and this man got off and uh, came up to me with uh, the Henry Wilcoxon, the AD, and we chatted, and it was Cecil B. DeMille, and he wrote scenes for me in the movie to do with Charlton Heston, so I was on that movie about a month and a half. Wow. So it was quite an intro into showbiz. Yeah, I would say so. Now, now, of course, you were very young back then, but do you remember Charlton Heston very well? Oh, I do. And I have the best picture of, of him and me um, when he's talking to me at the, uh, on this papier-mâché mountain, and he's saying, are you afraid? And I said, no, but Rebecca is. And that was a little doll that had been introduced in a scene earlier on in the movie. Mm -hmm. DeMille always liked to put these human touches into his epic thing, so it wasn't just all pomp and circumstance, but there were parts that really touched your heart. Yeah. So I was part of that. And uh, I, I stayed in touch with uh, Mr. Heffin and even played tennis up at his, his house on uh, Mulholland Drive. Oh, well, I was going to ask you, did, did you ever meet him again or... You know, and, and and talk about hey, I was in your film. <laughs> your film, the Ten, Ten Commandments. I did, and uh, I was actually dating someone, Michael Dante, who was a very good friend of his, and he's the one that first took me up to to the house that that he lived in for so long. And he was a a really a good um, tennis player. And then I had another very good friend, James Doolittle, and he was an impresario and had the Huntington Hartford Theater that was later named the James Doolittle Theater. And he brought Charlton Heston uh, over to China, one of the first times to direct King Mutiny. So uh, Mr. Doolittle fixed it up, and uh, Charlton Heston went over and directed these Chinese in this fabulous production of the King Mutiny. Okay, so I met him through Jimmy Doolittle, and then, unfortunately, Jimmy died, one of my best friends and mentors um, we had produced a couple plays together and Charlton Heston came to the uh, cemetery and made the most beautiful eloquent speech and I thought oh well you know some actors can be made to look good through costumes and, and, and editors and film but there he was on this little knoll giving the most beautiful speech and oration for for Jimmy from Shakespeare and I thought wow he really is an incredible actor and an incredible heart and soul <laughs> yeah jeez it, it, it's funny listening to you talk um, and I've said this to a couple of other people but not everybody sounds like they did back when they were on the TV show but the whole time you're talking, I can I can see <laughs> the teenage sissy <laughs> talking. Oh well, yes, but I, at being a voiceover person, I have many layers to my voice, <laughs> right. Brian, yeah. and I can make it deeper. 
like Nick really t- tiny and, and, and little. But, you know, this is my, my main thing. Right. <laughs> my little red energetic voice. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Now, uh, what's the story behind you becoming Sissy on Family Affair? Is there any, you know, did did you uh, have to audition at a, you know, a cattle call or anything like that? Or was it just somebody calling you and say, hey, why don't you try out for this? Or how did that work out? Well, I had had my longtime agent in Hollywood, Hazel McMillan, who was actually the mother of Gloria McMillan, who was on uh, Our Miss Brooks oh, so many years ago. Oh, yeah. And I was going to UCLA at the time. I was a freshman at UCLA. And uh, my mom called up and he says, oh, you have an interview for a TV series. And I said, oh, well, that's great. And she says, now the only thing is they want a blonde, blue-eyed girl. I said, oh, okay, since I had dark hair and dark eyes. <laughs> and so, but my wonderful agent you know, talked them into seeing me, and I had known the casting director, Virginia Martindale. She had cast me in a lot of other things. And uh, so they said, okay, we'll put some gold spray in her hair, some streaks and tips, make it look lighter. So my mom came over to my sorority house. I was a high beta phi, and she sprays my hair with these streaks and tips. At that time, we didn't have colored contact lenses, so I had to go with my brown eyes. (laughs) There was nothing we could do. So I went over to Desilu Studios. My mom picked me up after spraying my hair, and I'm sitting there talking to Ed Hartman, who was one of the producers. He looked at me and he said, what's the matter with your hair? I said, my hair? And he says, yes, it's turning green. I said, oh, well. I was really embarrassed, but it was okay. It, it worked out fine, and he was a great producer. Now, the thing is, they had already started doing the pilot, filming the pilot, which was sold. Wow. So they were kind of in a place where they had to hurry up. They had cast one girl in my part, but she'd gone away to Europe for like three weeks and come back and had gained 10 pounds. Uh-oh. So they said, hmm. <laughs> so uh, Anissa Jones, every, everybody was cast, and I went down to uh, the place where they were filming and I had gone to Max Factor in Hollywood, had this long blonde Alice in Wonderland wig and then they put me in this blue and white check Dorothy dress from The Wizard of Oz because <laughs> I was supposed to only be 15 and I was 18. Right. I was yeah. already over 18. So that worked in my favor. They wanted someone over 18. And so I'm looking around the set and then I come back and I I talk with the director, I do my screen test, they say thank you very much, and then the next day, my agent calls says, okay, she says, you got the part, they said, but never wear that wig, never wear that dress again, I said, okay, so that's how. See, now, you talk about, you know, they want a blonde, blue-eyed, but 
back then, uh, the blonde, okay, that, that, you know, you can see the difference. But let's face it, TV back then, the blue eyes, you couldn't really see it very well on the, the resolution of TV back then. Nowadays, it might have an effect, but... Well, actually, 1966, which was when uh, Family Affair debuted, was the first year that CBS had color. Mm-hmm. And that, it, it uh, emphasized it. They were trying to... <laughs> I'm looking at this stupid dog who has a little green ball with a bell in it. And she keeps dropping it in front of me, and it's, <laughs> it's rolling along, tinkling the bell for me to play with She's saying, let's play, let's play. <laughs> what are you doing on the phone, Mom? So, um... I forgot what happened. About the eyes, the blue eyes. Yeah, so the blue eyes. So we had the big kaleido- uh, uh, kaleidoscope mm-hmm. to emphasize the fact, look at this show. This show is in color. Yeah, we're in color. And <laughs> actually, Anissa had brown eyes, and Johnny had bluish eyes, and Brian Keith had, had bluish eyes. So it, it wasn't that much of, of a distortion of family. I mean, we all kind of look like each other. Yeah, yeah. Was it a close cast? Yes, it was. We uh, we all got along very well, and Johnny and I had the same birthday, December oh. the thirteenth. Not for the year, of course, but right. uh, there was a lot of simpatico, I think, from just the basis of all our personalities and spirit that seemed to mesh very well. Mm-hmm. Because Family Affair was such a classic; it was a gentle show. There, I think there was a gentle side to all of us oh, as yeah. well. Yeah. Uh, and there are many shows that have been done with families and dysfunctional families that have not ha- have become as classic as family affairs. Mm, yeah. And I really think that's because of the people who starred in the show. Yeah. Now, what and was... you can quote me on that, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> now, naturally, you were a little older than than the the other kids in the show, and and of course, you weren't a kid by then, but you know, you were playing a kid. Um, did you ever get into trouble, the three of you, when you were on the set? No, no. And, um, you know, how boring is that, right? Uh, <laughs> I, got, <laughs> I got in trouble when I was not on the set. <laughs> on the set, uh, because it was a family show, and the producer, Don Federson, had also gained fame and fortune with My Three Sons, ah. uh, which uh, ran for many years, and they shot actually right next door to us. And there was a dictum on the set that there wasn't any drinking and there wasn't any swearing. And, you know, so it was a it really, it really was a very family-oriented kind of environment to shoot. Yeah. What was Brian Keith like? Well, Brian, I love Brian. Good old Irishman, don't you know him? And I'm a quarter Irish myself. <laughs> but he went through many manifestations and changes of character uh, during the five years that we shot. Yeah. And the first, he was, he was up, and, and then the second year, he was going through a divorce. And then the third year, he met somebody else, and then he became more anecdotal and told stories. But he loved kids, and, uh, and also he was very outspoken about those that he did not like. So he was a very interesting character, and it was... Brian and Sebastian Cabot, who played Mr. French, right. had such a different style of acting. And that's another uh, reason I think that Family Affair was so popular and, and stayed uh, as it did. Both excellent actors. Oh, yeah. Both coming from very different methods and styles of acting. 
whereas uh, Sebastian was uh, uh, more from the classical style, and, and he would take home his script, and he would very dutifully look at every single word and, and have it to perfection. And then Brian would come in, you know, on, on like a minute, say, oh, okay, yeah, what, what do we have today? Yeah, let me see the scene. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Okay, let's go. Yeah. So he was very improvisational, very much of the emotion of the moment. And so those two different styles really worked off each other, I thought, very well. Oh, yeah. It, it blended so well, yeah. And, now, was Sebastian Cabot in real life, um, like his character, I mean, he seemed, you know, sort of like prim and proper, uh, a little gruff, but uh, a heart of gold. Was he really that type of person? Yes. I mean, I don't know about a heart of gold, maybe a heart of copper. Right. But he, <laughs> yes, I, I think so. And he loved his family. He loved his wife, Yvonne, and, and he had three kids, and uh, so it, there was a lot of, of him that was in Mr. French. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. Any memorable moments uh, on the show or while, you know, behind the scenes while you were filming the show that you would, could share with us or remember? Or? Well, you know, uh, as I said, it was a pretty family-oriented show. There were a couple times when John Gaudioso, who was our assistant director, would play tricks on people. And I remember one time I was to go dive under the bed to retrieve a pair of slippers. And I went into the bed and I pulled out these slippers. I tried to pull out the slippers. I tried again. And he had nailed them to the floor. Oh, <laughs> So there were, there were some pranks that were going on. Yeah. Now, did you ever, did anybody on the set ever think that the Mrs. Beasley doll would be so popular? No, I don't think so. I mean, was that, it just... I think a... that, was, that was kind of a surprise. They had first done the Mrs. Beasley doll as a mock-up. And um, then when the show, after like the first even time it aired, had such great ratings... Uh, that then they really made the definitive Mrs. Beasley. But it was one of the first times that there was a doll that was like a little old lady that became so popular rather than just a baby doll. You know, here was an older lady doll. And so it was something new. It was uh, something that gave comfort. And I remember I was doing... Oh, no, I'm not going to remember... Um, bury my heart at Wounded Knee. It's not that, but it's Ruby Ridge. Ruby Ridge, and then uh, Laura Dern was in that. Mm-hmm. And I was playing a real estate agent, and she was playing uh, the wife of the, the people that got shot at Ruby Ridge. Anyway, we started this conversation, and she said, You know, I love Family Affair so much. And she said, And I loved Mrs. Beasley. And when my parents got divorced, that was Diane Ladd and Bruce Stern. Right. Yeah, Diane's been a guest on the show. Oh, has she? Yeah. I should ask her about Mrs. Beasley. Yes. <laughs> and Laura was so upset that her parents were going, that got a divorce, and she took that dog, doll, and she says that is one of the, the main things that gave me solace hmm. uh, when, you know, they, they parted. Yeah. And I, my, my younger sister when she grew up she had one and I, I think she still has the original one but it's, it's something that she always kept with her yeah. yes oh yes um brian and and derek you and i know your brother yep you know very well you you have your own family affair there huh? oh yes 
Uh, now, uh, you uh, you also worked with Brian Keith in the Crusader. Yes. Yeah. Now, uh, of course, you could, you could have never have imagined that eventually you would be on a regular series with him back then. You know, isn't that strange? I mean, I I really love life, and I I love the ironies of life and how some things come together that you would you would never think. I actually did The Millionaire for uh, John Federson. He had a show back then. It wasn't like how you know winning a million dollars like uh, the the show that we the game show. Yeah. But this was with John Beardsford Tipton, and I did that show, and that was a Don Featherson production. And here I did the Crusader with um, with Brian Keith. Not you know no no inkling that we would all join forces later on yeah. our our journey of life. Huh. Now. Relating all to, to all this family affair and everything, um, recently you came out with a book called uh, The Family Affair Cookbook, right? That's right. Now, is that something that, uh, uh, because you have a love of cooking, or, or what was it that prompted you to do that? Well, there were a couple reasons. One, I do love to cook, and I love to eat. <laughs> That's one of the main things. And the... Um, episodes of Family Affair were coming out on DVD. And so I thought, well, you know, I could write Surviving Sissy, which I was going to write. I said, but I think I'd rather do a cookbook. And so I started gathering all the recipes and et cetera. But then, unfortunately, my house burned down in 2003. And so I lost a lot of my recipes. But I had set this goal. I was going to write this cookbook. And so... I did, with the help of a friend, uh, Jeffrey Mark, mm-hmm. and so it's um, come out to great success, and it's uh, really a, a fun book. It's not, it not only has recipes, but it has stories about family affair and, and Hollywood at the time. Yeah. Now, can people get that at your website, or do they have to go to, a, a, like, a book, you know, an Amazon or something like that? Or? They can do it either way. They can go to my website, which is kathygarver.com, K-A-T-H-Y-G-A-R-V-E-R, Dot com and order it from me, and I can autograph it for them. Oh. Or they can go to Amazon.com or BearManorMedia.com mm-hmm. and order it from them. Yeah. Well, great, because that you know I'll make sure we put a link when we post this, that uh, we have a link up there so people can just click on it and get right to your site. Oh, that would be terrific, Brian. I'd appreciate that. Sure. And um, I just want to finish up with uh, one or two more questions, if that's okay. You got it. Uh, and this this is totally different from everything we've talked about. Um, basically, what are your favorite TV shows, new or, new or old, either one? But what do you like to watch? Family Affair. Well, besides Family Affair. Oh, besides Family Affair. <laughs> um, NCIS and Bones. I, I love those shows. Ah, okay. I really like NCIS. I, I like the characters. I like um, solving the mysteries. I have a, a, a good friend, Dean Hargrove, who has written a lot of things, and uh, he wrote the one with Andy Griffith. Not the Andy Griffith show, but Matlock. Matlock, yeah. And I said, oh, this is a show about lawyers. And he says, no, this is a mystery show. And I think it's always interesting when uh, you're watching a show, and uh, it is a mystery. You're trying to solve, well, who did it, and why did they do it? Mm-hmm. So NCIS is like that. Bones is like that. Yeah. Uh, I used to love Angela Lansbury's uh, show. Murder, She Wrote? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So 
Those are my favorite shows. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned Matlock. I just got into it just before I called you. Um, I got my preview copy of the new release of uh, season. I'm not sure which season. I haven't even looked at it yet uh, for my reviews to do. And uh, ah. I just got the new the new ver- the new one that's coming out uh, sometime in July. So. Huh. I did an episode of Matlock too. I enjoyed that. Oh wow. Yeah. And okay, now one last question. What's your favorite movies? Oh, probably Gone with the Wind. Ah, okay. I mean, I am a hopeless romantic. <laughs> I am. And I loved Gone with the Wind. Yeah. Oh, all right. One more thing. <laughs> I, just, <laughs> I just noticed my little notes here. Um, new projects that you're in. Uh, ah, yes. That's a good question. I see you are going to be, one of them is called Horrorween. Horrorween, yes. And uh, this is in 3D. It's a horror film. I've already um, filmed part of my uh, role as a zombie. <laughs> They're big is... right now. Huh? <laughs> zombies are big right now. Zombies are big. Zombies are big. So I uh, wanted to get into the uh, ho- jump on the Halloween wagon. So that that is really fun. I have a talk show that I do. I know you don't think I talk very much, Brian. <laughs> uh, backstage with Barry and Kathy mm-hmm. that can, uh, well, you could go to my website and then click on the link. It's on Fridays, I mean, Fridays, Mondays at uh, 5.30 on Comcast. So I'm doing that. I'm uh, working with your brother <laughs> on uh, a new film and called Santa's Dog. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm working on another great big film called, uh, well, it's a 3D film. And 3D. we are gathering the, the money for that. Yeah. So I'm very busy trying to get my 19-year-old son to keep going to college, getting him up in the morning. He's going to summer school now. Uh-huh. So that's a project unto itself, for sure. So you are very busy. <laughs> yes, and I have to throw the, the ball for the dog. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, Kathy, I, I, I want to thank you so much for taking the time. This has been, this has been fun. I have enjoyed this. Thank you. Same here, Brian. Or Brain. <laughs> And once again, I want to thank Kathy for taking the time to talk to us. Kathy Garver, sissy on Family Affair back in the 60s. And, of course, so many other things, her voiceover work and everything. And I appreciate her taking the time to talk to us. She's very busy, but uh, she took the time, and uh, thank her very much for that. And it was a great show. If you get a chance, check it out on DVD, of course. Uh, Sebastian Cabot, uh, uh, Brian Keith. Uh, it's just, just such a great cast. And uh, check it out. And let's see here. What else do we got? Feedback at onscreenandbeyond.com. That's where you can send your suggestions for guests. Uh, And I want to thank you very much for listening. I hope you enjoy the show. And uh, until next week, I'm Brian Zemrak. Take care. (laughs) 